Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, let's get into the message this morning. I'm going to begin with a story. Uh, there was a husband and wife. His name was Jake, and her name was Martha. And every year they would go to the state fair, and, uh, and, and as they were there, uh, Jake would look at the biplane that was there. There was a biplane that was giving rides, and he would look at the biplane, and he, he wanted to go up in a ride in that plane. He thought, man, that would just be so much fun to go for a ride in that plane. But the problem was it cost $10, and so he'd say to Martha, Martha, I'd really like to take a ride in that plane, and she'd say, what? Jake, the cost is $10, and you know what they say, $10 is $10, and so they'd never do it. Each and every year they went to the state fair, this was a a reoccurring conversation, and when Jake was 81 years old, he said, he walked by and he said, you know what, if I don't take a ride in that plane this year, I don't know if I'm ever going to get an opportunity to do that again, and so he said to Martha, you know what, I think this is the year, this is the year I have to do it. She goes, well... It costs $10, and you know what they say, $10 is $10. Well, the person that, the pilot that was there with the plane had overheard the conversation, and he said to Jake and Martha, you know, I overhear your conversation, you're right, $10 is $10. I've got a, I've got a little uh, uh, proposition for you, and, uh, and here, here, here's what it is. Let me help you out. If, if I take you up in the airplane, and you can manage not to say a word, not to say one word the entire time that, we, that we're flying on that airplane, then the ride will be absolutely free. And Jake and Martha looked at each other and they said, you know what? You've got a deal. So they, they got up in the air and they, they began to, to, to fly around and, in that plane. And, and the, as they got up to altitude, the, fi- the pilots started doing dips and started doing dives and started doing rolls and they didn't say a word. He continued, he, he continued swirls and turns and, and all kinds of different things and, and just really tried to take it, but there was absolutely no word. When the pilot finally landed the plane, he looked back at Jake and he said, I'm really impressed. I, I really tried to get you to yell something out or, or do something and you didn't do it. And Jake said to the pilot, well, I was going to say something when Martha fell out of the plane after the first roll, but... is $10. (laughs) That's just terrible, isn't it? Why would I share a story like that? Because I got to be honest with you, being stingy doesn't pay. (laughs) Being cheap and stingy doesn't pay. It doesn't doesn't always pay. Today we're going to finish out our series called Neglected Virtues, and we're going to talk about the virtue of generosity. Proverbs 11.25 says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will they themselves be refreshed. Do you know that the Bible talks a lot about generosity? And as we begin, I just want to encourage you that I am not sharing this message today because we have a church filled with stingy people. In fact, quite the opposite. In fact, I am so blessed by our church. I am so blessed by each and every one of you. You blow me away continually by your generosity. So please understand that the message today 
has nothing to do with our church is in financial trouble or we need your money. This is not one of those kind of messages. However, how many know that as a pastor, I am charged with teaching the whole counsel of God? And, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but in a world where we have so much consumerism that is going on and we're bombarded with all kinds of commercialism, we live in a world where it's difficult to be satisfied. In fact, beyond that, you might see all kinds of ads. You might have been bombarded with Black Friday ads and Cyber Monday ads and this commercial that says you need this and you need that and and, uh, social media, you see your friends and they got something new and you think, oh, I need to get something new. That if we're not careful, materialism and consumerism can begin to take over and there is a, a world and a culture that to be honest with you, struggles financially and deals with debt. Money struggles are real. Our economy has been very challenged over this last year, and some of you have been challenged financially, and the problem is is that oftentimes when those kinds of things, whether it's consumerism or struggles economically, we can get to the place where we feel like we should hold on and become stingy or even selfish or fearful with money. But the truth is, the Bible says a lot about money. In fact, it's estimated that out of every six verses, at least one of them talks about money in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They deal directly or indirectly with financial management. Furthermore, we serve a God who is extremely generous. Romans 8.32 talks about this a little bit. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, also with him graciously give us all things? We have a God that is generous. For God so loved the world, right, that he gave In fact, one of the lies that the enemy has tried to sow in from the very beginning is that God is not generous, that God is a taker, that God withholds things from us and that he is not generous. And I want you to know, friends, that that is a lie from the pit of hell. Our God is a generous God. Our God is a gracious God. He gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I could graciously receive salvation and be blessed where we don't deserve to be blessed. In 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he's encouraging him to instruct those that he's pastoring. And he says, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be conceited and not to put their hope in the uncertainty of wealth, but in God who richly provides all things for us to enjoy. The foundation for that verse is, is that God does what? He richly provides all things for us to enjoy. Does that sound like a taking God to you? God is a generous God. He richly provides all things for us. You may not think, it says, instruct those who are rich in this present age. You might might not think that you're rich. You might might take a look and say, well, I'm just kind of middle class. Or you know what, I struggle a little bit financially. I don't make a whole lot. But I'm going to tell you that you make most, uh, you make a lot more than the rest of the world's economy that lives on about $2 a day. God isn't looking through the lens of simply an American culture. He is 
looking through the lens as he looks at the whole world and he has entrusted us and placed us in a place where we are rich in this pleasant wor- present world. The enemy wants you to believe that you're not secure, that God doesn't provide, and that to find security, you need to put your hope in wealth. And that is simply not true. So today, I want to dive into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and uh, he's talking about this idea of generosity and stewardship. In fact, to be honest with you, Paul in this writing is getting ready to take an offering This is a fundraiser of sort for the church in Jerusalem where there are many people who are struggling. Why are they struggling? Because the church in Jerusalem was the the, the foundational church. I remember that in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost it happened. It was there that it said that 3,000 got saved in one day and the church was adding to their numbers daily those that were being saved. That was the church where where, where the birth, the birth of the church had had, had taken place was in the city of, of Jerusalem. And, and, and there's an economic downturn that has happened in Judea, specifically in the city of Jerusalem. Here's what happened. If you were a Christ follower, if you said that you followed Jesus Christ as the Messiah, then oftentimes you were, you were, uh, you were no longer uh, allowed to be a part of the community. They, they were kicking you out. You couldn't be a part of the temple. You couldn't go there and worship anymore. In fact, many of the jobs that people had and the businesses that people had were no longer frequented. They were isolated because they had chosen to put their faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, the temple was oftentimes one of those places ruled by the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees in particular, where there were a lot of the jobs that were taking place in the temple, did not believe in resurrection. You might remember that. That's why they're sad, you see. That's how I remember that. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they're sad, you see. Okay, anyway, that's extra. That's extra. But Christians in Jerusalem, they're running around and, and they're saying all kinds, Jesus is resurrected, Jesus is resurrected, Jesus is resurrected. They say, you can't say that around here. We can't help but say that around here. You know what? You don't have a job. You're out of here. You don't have a job. So all of a sudden, the, the economy for those who placed their faith in Jesus was suddenly stressed. And there were a lot of people in Jerusalem, Christians in Jerusalem, being persecuted and jobless. And then initially they pulled together, right? Acts 2.45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they began to, to come together. They pulled together. They pulled resources together. They did what they could in that moment. But then there was a, a, a famine that spread throughout Judea. And, and the Bible mentions this. It was in tough shape. And so Paul believes that they need to raise money. There's these Gentile churches that have benefited because of Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah. And as the body of Christ, these Gentile believers who lived in these Roman provinces and, and who, were, who were blessed with jobs and economy needed to, to take an offering to send back to support the believers who were being persecuted in Jerusalem. And so, so Paul begins to take an offering He's taking an offering. And this is what he writes, 2 Corinthians 9, 5 to 11. So I thought I should send the brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift that you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. And then he says this, remember, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. 
but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And look at this, God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. The good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is who is the one who provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide, in, provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of what? Generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Did you pick up on the theme that's in this passage? There, there's a theme in this passage. In fact, the, I, I was counting, and, and there's at least six times that Paul uses a version of the word generous or generosity in this passage. God is generous, and he desires for those who are following him to live their lives in a way that they too give and are generous in meeting the needs of others. So how do we live this? Well, this morning, I want to give you three guidelines and two benefits to living generously. Three guidelines and two, two benefits of living generously. First, the first guideline or kind of principle, how do we, how do we have a cultivate uh, a virtue in our lives of generosity? Well, it begins with an understanding of, number one, that God is the source. God is the source. God's the source of all that we have, all the blessings that we have, all the resources that we have, all the wealth that we have, God is the source. In verse 8, he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's a lot of all, 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 every, every, every. Where does that come from? Where do we have those resources? Where do they come from? They come from God. God is able. Does anybody believe God is able this morning? God is able. And he's trying to convey to the, to the Corinthian church the, the largeness of, of God's generous heart, of, of the generous heart of God towards people and that he is the source of all things. The psalmist David wrote in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Friends, God is the owner of all things. God is the source of all things. All things come from God. All the blessings that we have, which makes us simply stewards of those blessings. In fact, our, our giving is simply a management of God's resources. It's a management of God's resources. Throughout the gospel, Jesus used illustrations of the parable of the talents or the, the king who had left his vineyards to, to, to servants, to steward and to manage before he would return once again, over and over again. The Bible illustrates to you and I that we are not the owners of the things that we have or that we possess. We are simply the stewards of those things. While scouting out a 
location for a popular TV series, an advanced team came upon what they believed to be the perfect site for a, a sequence of, of, of action sequence and, and uh, of different uh, uh, cars that, that would come and, and they would, you know how they do these kind of action sequences and, and they, they go off the road and they spin around and they do all kinds of things and they found this expensive house with this beautiful, uh, this beautiful lawn. Unfortunately, again, the script called for spinning and crashing on the lawn and tearing up the shrubs and mowing down the flower beds. And, and, uh, but when they came to the house and they asked the residents who were in the house, they told them, we want to film a movie at your house. Now, understand, I mean, we're going to have crows out here and everything, but it's going to really tear up your lawn and tear up your shrubs and, and tear up all that. And so starry-eyed that the fact that their house would be in a movie, they, they said, absolutely, and they gave their approval right on the spot. Days later, the film crew arrived and began shooting, and cars that were driven by Hollywood stunt drivers uh, were soon careening wildly across the, the front lawn, violently ripping through the turf, and all of a sudden, the neighbor decided to call up to New York the real owner of the house. Yep, that's right. The scouts were not talking to the owner, they were talking to the renters of the house. <laughs> And the renters had given their permission, but the owner had not. And, and uh, the tenants had no real authority to give that kind of, uh, that, to, to allow that proper to be torn up, to give that kind of permission. The owner was not a happy man. The director was embarrassed. And the residents had to look for a new place to live. <laughs> I share that story because the truth is, is that we are not owners here. We are simply renters. We're not owners we're, we're stewards of what we have here. God is the, the owner. In fact, the biggest difference between an owner and a renter can be defined, uh, an owner and a steward can be defined by two words, rights and responsibilities. The owner has the rights, the steward has responsibilities. And in the same way, in our relationship with God, God is the owner and we are simply the stewards of what he's given us. Lest we be reminded in Deuteronomy 8.18, the Lord warned against this and he told the Israelites before they entered into the promised land, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth and he may confirm that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is in this day. The very power to be able to earn a living, the power to make wealth, the talents, the abilities, and the opportunities that you've been given have been given to you because of God. You have what you have because of God. Let's not, let's not forget that. That's what Paul was writing in 2 Corinthians 9.10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Who supplied the seed? God did. Who supplied the bread for food? God did. Who multiplied the seed for sowing? God did. Paul is borrowing this language from the Old Testament where, where he's actually quoting from Isaiah 55.10 that says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. The very, the very blessings that we have, the ability that we have, the income that we have, the economy that we have comes from God. He's the source. 
God supplies the resources from which we live and thus the resources from which we give. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Again, the farmer uses the soil that God created. He uses the seed that God provided. He uses the animals that God afforded to him and he uses the physical body that God has fashioned. Think about it this way. All that he has, all that he finds is a resource from God. He goes out to the field with a bag of seeds that God has provided. He uses his arm, his body that God has given him health to be able to cast out and throw out that seed. He's walking through the field with the body that God made, throwing the seed that God provided into the earth and the soil that came from God and that God made. It all comes from him. He is both the source and the resource. Some struggle with this idea. Kind of like a, an arrogant scientist who cracked his head towards heaven one day and said, God, I know that you made all this life and stuff, but you must feel terribly outdated because we can basically do everything that you can do. We can run this world without you. So God decided he was going to speak to him verbally. He said, you know what? I challenge you to a contest. And the scientist said, you're on. So God reached down. He Picked up a handful of soil, he blew on it, and out comes an exotic, magnificent white bird. And the scientist said, wow, well, that's quite a challenge. He closed his eyes, he took a deep breath, and he thought to himself, you know what, I've, I've learned, the mas learned how to, to master soil manipulation and cloning. And so he reached down to pick up a handful of soil, and God said, hey, 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 wait a minute, get your own soil. <laughs> Paul's point is, is that God is the source of all that we have. The second guideline is that we are to give generously. That's verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Again, he's using the metaphor of farming. And if you sow tight-fisted and you only put a little bit of seed in the ground, then you're only going to get a little bit of harvest in the ground. No, it's not about sowing sparingly. It's about sowing generously because each seed could produce anywhere from 30 to 100 times of, of the power that's in that seed. That's the idea when we give it away, when we are generous with what we've been given. As we give it away, it has the potential out of our hands to multiply kind of like the feeding of the five loaves and the, the two fishes that fed 5,000 as long as in the little boy's hands and in his lunch and hung on to it was five loaves and two fish but put it in the hands of Jesus give generously and allow Jesus to have it in his hands and it multiplies and feeds thousands that's what Paul is talking about so bountifully give generous and open handed and it returns to this, this theme here of sowing and reaping. Become someone who gives generously. Thirdly, cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. This isn't about compulsion. This isn't about guilt. I've not come here to, to, to guilt trip you today. In fact, the word cheerful is where we get the word hilarious from. God wants us to give hilariously, to laugh and give hilariously, to, to just have this, this attitude, this generosity. When we live generously, we, we live in such a way where we, we, we can give with hilarity 
and joyfully. Furthermore, it should says that everyone should give what they've decided in their own heart to give. And that's something that you need to work out with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are you wanting me to do? Holy Spirit, what are you challenging me to do? Holy Spirit, what have you put in my heart to do? What have you been birthing in me to do? Who do you want me to bless? Where do you want me to give? How do you, how much do you want me to give? Let me tell you something. Uh, sometimes we don't want to listen to the Holy Spirit. This is not something to, to, to give in terms of reluctantly or, or from guilt, but rather something that is motivated by our relationship with Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. We are motivated by that. We should not be motivated by sad feelings or being distressed. God wants happy givers. Whatever you give should not be motivated by negative or guilt feelings. It should be motivated uh, by a desire to want to live out the principles and the, the generosity that God has given us and to live out of a place of being stewards of that. Should be motivated by external pressure. I think all of us know what it's like to be pressured to give. God doesn't want to pressure you to give. So how then should we give? Well, Deuteronomy 15.10, you shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him for, because the Lord uh, because for this the Lord our God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Peter Marshall, who used to be a chaplain to the U.S. Senate, he said this, giving according to your income, it says give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Paul says that, I, that God loves a cheerful giver, and he teaches us that there are two ways that we fail in giving. If we give generously but not joyfully, then we give in the wrong way. And if we're joyful but not generous, we fail. God wants us to live at the intersection between generosity and joy. Generosity and joy. He wants your generosity to produce joy. He wants you to be cheerful and to be obedient to him. Randy Alcorn says it this way, I have found that cheerful givers love God and love him more deeply each time they give. To me, one of the few experiences comparable to the joy of leading someone to Christ is the joy of making wise and generous choices with my money and possessions. Both are supreme acts of worship, both are exhilarating, and both are what we've made for. Have you discovered this? Have you discovered the joy of being generous, the joy of being able to bless others and see how God uses you to be able to bless others? There is, a, there, is, there is something powerful about giving at the intersection of generosity and joy. There's something powerful about that. And it comes with some amazing benefits. Let me just share with you two of the, the benefits that, that come when we begin to give at the intersection of cheerfulness and generosity, generosity and joy. First, God will give you what you need to continue to be generous. Let me say that again so it's not misunderstood. God will give you what you need so that you can continue to be what? Generous. Generous. This is not one of those messages where you're going to give to get. You're going to get to give. 
God blesses you so that you can give. You give, God blesses you so you can keep on giving. This isn't about if I give, I'm going to promise you, if you give to God, he's going to have a brand new whatever, Corvette, Cadillac, I don't know, Mustang in your driveway. No, that's wrong motives. That's what James talks about, selfish. No, no, no. D.A. Carson puts it this way, God is no one's debtor. He bestows all kinds of heart gifts on people who give. God blesses generous givers. That's what verses 8 to 11 is all about, the, the, the extravagance of God. God richly blesses extravagant givers. It says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. He can lavish all kinds of grace upon you. And, and, and it's connected to our needs, that God is able to meet all of your needs. In Philippians, Paul wrote, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God gives us everything that we need. Why would he do this? Again, going back to verses 10 and 11. He who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And then it says, you will be enriched in every way to be. Why are you enriched in every way? To be what generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God generosity does something when we when we are generous when God blesses and we are generous with what God has blessed us with God will make all grace abound to you you will not lack you will not be in need and God will give it to you if he's put it in your heart to give it he will provide it for you he is no one's debtor. He will bless you so that you can continue to bless others, so that you can live in that joy abundantly. Nobody likes a Scrooge. It's a great cycle. You give more so that you can get more, so that you can give more, and you can experience more joy. God will give you what you need so that you can continue to be generous. This was the case for the widow who was in Zarephath. Sometimes I think we, we think, well, when I get to this level of income, when I get to this level of income, when I get to this level of income, listen, it is not about your income. This is not an income thing. This is a heart thing. This is a trust thing. The widow in Zarephath, you might remember, this was in the days of Elijah, there was a, 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 a drought in the land. Because of that, their food was scarce, water was scarce. And so the widow in Zarephath, she's there. Elijah shows up at her door. She's getting ready with the last bit of what she has to bake her last loaf of bread and to have her, her last meal, so to speak. The, the last little bit that she has, a little bit of oil, little bit of flour. And Elijah shows up and he says, God sent me here and he told me to tell you to bake me some bread. And she said, bake me, bake you some bread. <laughs> Hold on a second. I'm, I'm out of food. This is my, this is my last meal. We're going to eat it and, and then we're going to die. That's what we're going to do. We're going to eat it and then we're going to die. And Elijah responds to her like this, 1 Kings 17, 13, do not fear Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. So give first and afterwards, then make something for you and your son. Wait a minute, this is only a little bit. What if I don't have enough? What if I don't have enough? What if I don't have enough for, for me and my son? This is all I have. But Elijah said, make some for me first. 
and then for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord send rain upon the earth. He's saying, trust and be obedient to the Lord. If you will trust and be obedient, if you will be generous in what you have, if you will give your bread to me in the last bit of oil and flour, if you will do it, God will provide and you will see that your jar of oil will never run out and your flour will never run out. You will, you will have enough. And he, he, he encouraged her. What was the result? First Kings seven sixteen. the jar of flour was not spent Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke through Elijah. She kept giving generously all that she had. You might say like the widow who gave her last might. She was generous in being obedient to the Lord. And God made sure that she always had what she needed. Not only for herself, but to continue to be a blessing to Elijah. Listen, when you live with a heart and the virtue of generosity, when you are willing to give to others as God prompts your heart, not, not, not under compulsion, but as the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, I want you to bless that person. But Lord, I don't know. My resources are really tight. I don't know if I can pay that bill. I don't know if I can do that. If God is prompting your heart and he's wanting you to be generous as you give, God will supply what you need so that you continue, you can continue to be a blessing to others. The Lord gives generously. He gives to us generously so that we can be a blessing to others. He supplies us with what he has promised so that we continue to be a blessing to others. Why? Why? So that, so that th there can be thanksgiving to God. That's what the end of that, that verse said. It says it will produce thanksgiving to God. See, that's the second point, benefit, that God uses your gifts to bless others, which in, in, in all honesty then produces thanksgiving and glory to the Lord. Paul mentions three specific ways that others benefit. One, it will supply the needs of the saints. The poor will be fed. Churches will be planted. Missionaries will be supported. The gospel will be advanced. It will cause others to thank God and, and give him glory. When you give, it, you, you become the answer to someone else's prayer. When God uses you to meet their need, he, he, they, will, they will thank and glorify God as a result of your gift. And it will bring you closer to others. It will bring you closer to others because they long for and pray because of your generosity to them. Randy Alcorn said it this way, a revival of lavish giving and strategic living is a revival of grace empowered by God. And the body of Christ gets serious about learning and living out God's instructions concerning money and possessions. Christ's cause will be further and his person exalted. And his person exalted. I want to tell you, this is a generous church. And because of your generosity, let me tell you a couple of things that just happened just this week. Just this week, because of your generosity, because the way that you have been giving, because the way that you have been sowing, it has prompted and allowed us to be able to be more generous as a church. Earlier this week, as we met as a board, we were approached by uh, AG World Missions. They had a sensitive country uh, need uh, in the nation of Cuba that had been devastated by Hurricane Ian. It had completely flattened some of the churches that are there. And they asked if we would be willing 
to give it all to this sensitive country, this, this particular need to rebuild a church that had been devastated, that we could rebuild a church structure for $7,500. And you know what? Because of your generosity as a church, because we've been so blessed, as, as a board, we were able to say, you know what? We can do that. We can do that. And we were able to write the check and give to the need so that we could build a church that had been devastated by a hurricane. We also received a benevolence request here in our own area from a veteran that he and his family were just on hard times and needed hard times. Ed Chapman was our go-between. He's kind of our benevolence guy. And he, he had uh, called and met with the guy and talked with him and this week, we were able to bless, help pay his bills. We were able to, to take care of his needs. Ed was able to go out and meet with him and minister to him and pray for him. And that's because you are generous in your giving, and it allows us to be able to be generous and meet the needs in our own community and around the world. We've been able to, to give. We're, we're, we are meeting the need to foster teens. We gave 86. You, you, you gave 86 uh, of the, the boxes for Samaritan's Purse this year. 86. 86. I'm bragging on you. There's a whole lot of others. I mean, we give monthly to missions all the time, and we're able to do these things, and we're able to help, and we're able to meet needs, and we're able to bless families in our community, like the Human Coalition in Cleveland that contacted us about a family that was in need for Christmas, and, and our children's director and children's ministry has tags on a tree. We're able to bless Teen Challenge because you are generous over and over and over and over again. You have been generous, which releases us to to be able to do amazing things and meet needs in our community and around the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being generous. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I just wanted to say that. Because again, this is not because this church is not generous, but I do know that it is so easy to fear and to lose security and to hang on and, and, and hold on to things. Because ultimately, generosity is about trust. It kind of goes back to the 1800s, 1864 to be precise, a pastor had an idea and he sent uh, that idea to the Secretary of the Treasury at the time that was serving under President Abraham Lincoln. The Secretary of the Treasury was Salmon Porter Chase, and, and, uh, and the President was Lincoln who was in office. And the clergyman's idea was that on our coins and on our bills should be the phrase, in God we trust. And Porter Chase got a hold of that, and he, he took it to the President. They thought it was a good idea, so they wrote a letter to the U.S. Mint telling them to stamp on every coin and put on every bill, in God we trust. In God we trust. Well, Porter wrote a letter, and I'm not going to read the letter, just one sentence of it, but it says the trust, he said this, the trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. Because really, generosity is all about trust. It really tests the trust. If you say the word tithe, the tithe is ultimately a trust. Do I trust God? Do I trust God? 
that he is the source and he will supply all that I need? Do I trust God that he will meet me when I live generously as a steward of what he's given me, not out of compulsion, not reluctantly, not sadly, but cheerfully and joyfully because that's what God has compelled me to do and I can't help but just respond in worship and generosity when God puts it in my heart because I know that as soon as I give it and bless it, man, oh man, then the Lord supplies again so I can keep on giving and I can keep giving, getting more joy and more joy and more joy. It's really about joy, isn't it? Because if you have Jesus, you don't need anything else more to start. When Hudson Taylor opened a bank account for China, I'm going to end in this worship team, will you come? China Inland Mission, he had to open a bank account, and on the application, it asked for a list of his assets. And this is, he wrote, this is what he wrote as the sum total of his assets. Ten pounds and all the promises of God. <laughs> Ten pounds and all the promises of God. That's what I have as my assets. I don't know what your assets, I'm sure they're a little more than what Hudson Taylor had. But the bottom line is, is we have what God has given us because he is the source. And he, he wants to inspire, he wants to grow in us a, 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 a virtue of generosity, a spirit of generosity so that we can be a blessing and that others will pause and give thanks and praise to God because of the gift that God has allowed to be given through us. Ultimately, he's the source. The question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you trust him to allow him to spark in your heart where he wants you to be generous, what he wants you to give? Will you respond obediently when he prompts your heart and the need that you have. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.